0: Like, I want to go from level eight to level nine. Yeah,
1: that's what I want to know.
0: I also have to admit, I don't know if I'm at level six or level eight right now. (laughs) I might be at level four trying to go to level six.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Morgan, co-founder of Primal Kitchen and host of the Primal Kitchen podcast. Today, I'm chatting with former two-time U.S. national champion, number three-ranked world professional triathlete, speed golf record holder, Brad Kearns. Brad's Mark's longtime writing partner and someone we've been working with since the launch of Primal Kitchen. Today, he'll be taking us through his pursuit of peak performance and how we can all find that motivation within ourselves, no matter what your goals are. Before we get started, a brief reminder that any and all opinions and views shared by hosts and guests of this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the view of Primal Kitchen or its affiliates or parent company. Brad and I have known each other for God, what, like eight, 10 years now, I guess. And Brad, I met at like around the same time I met Mark, I would say you're almost like responsible for me, maybe meeting Mark and coming into this whole private kitchen fold. So I owe you forever for that, It's, Brad. it's all
0: about connections. <laughs> it's all about yep.
1: connections. Um, so, and, and Mark coached you, right? I mean, that's how you know Mark. Give a little bit of the background here. Yeah, just quick, so, like 30 seconds, because yeah, it's just a go good We go way story. back
0: to the, uh, the 80s when I was a young professional triathlete, and Mark Sisson was this older guy who was retired and had a great career as a marathoner and a triathlete, and he was coaching a team of young triathletes in Los Angeles-based, and so uh, he was our coach. We called him Coach. And he was the the, uh, the the old wise guy that would you know give us training suggestions. And um, all triathletes think they know everything. And so I was really resistant to the idea of having a coach. The coach didn't work for me in Division One collegiate running. I was a bomb out because I was trained too hard and pushed too hard. And so I didn't really know what to think of this guy. And I'd. I'd listen politely and all that. And then Mark started showing up on our training rides. So we're these young badasses racing on the professional circuit, and this old guy is coming along for the ride. And, you know, we get to the top of the hill, and he's right freaking there. And we're like, what are you doing, man? And so, just in his spare time, he was able to go out and still push his body hard and you know really deliver high-level performance. But he was making this point that you don't need to go and push yourself and push your body to the edge every day. In fact, the recovery and the stress and rest patterns are super important. And so he was living this because he's like, yeah, I haven't ridden my bike all week. Here we go on the weekend for a badass ride. And meanwhile, I've been peddling my brains out every single day, oftentimes to my detriment. So Um, When we formed this partnership together, when I was a young guy on the pro circuit, um, I proceeded to improve at a really tremendous rate really quickly to the point where I was uh, in my best. I was national champion. I was ranked number three in the world. I won seven races in a row. Uh, Happy to call Mark every time at the finish line and say, yeah, man, I won again. It's working. It's working. Because he was trying to uh, deprogram me from all this... um, you know, this conventional mentality of how many miles can you train every day and how hard can you push yourself? And so he would use terms with me like trust, trust the process. Don't compare yourself to other athletes, just compare to yourself. And then you can compare to other athletes on race day. But I would get insecure because Mike Pig, the great champion from Northern California, would train much, much harder than me. And I'd be like, wow, I can't keep up with this guy at all. Except for on the race course when I have a chance. and so it was you know a great education on the importance of like individuality of the training process, how we differ from how we can absorb you know physical inputs and, and training load, and then you know trusting the process to take care of your body and realize when you're tired and you don't feel like it and your left shoulder feels like it's hanging off your body, maybe you don't need to go to this pool every single day. Maybe you're gonna be okay with rest and recovery and and rejuvenating workouts.
1: I love it. Yeah, it's kind of such a metaphor for, for life, isn't it? Like just really overdoing it because you see everybody else overdoing it and you just like, it just doesn't need to be that hard.
0: Yeah, and you know what's funny today, Morgan, like at my age, I have this reference point of around half of my life where there was no internet and no mobile devices and none of this hyperconnectivity and constant potential for distractibility and entertainment. And so I have these references of the old days when I'd sit around on Sunday and read a few books for many hours, or I'd just go and visit and socialize with people without mobile devices in our hands and just connect on a different level. And so compare and contrast to today. And I'm doing things like uh, mainly I'm a book writer as my career in the last uh, 20 years, I've been nonstop writing a book without a break. And so I've had to fight this battle to put away the email and the text messages and concentrate on starting from a blank screen and writing a 230 page book or whatever. And it's been really difficult because we have all this. A potential for distractibility. But at the same time, like we're obligated to kind of unplug and discipline ourselves. I know you're raising your young kids. And like when my kids were young, that's when I started getting the mobile device and the boss could call me on my my remote working day. And he's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm pushing my kid on a swing. What do you want? You know, like it started to become a battle at a crossroads where you had to say, look, um, I, you know, I owe this to myself. And these ages are never going to come again. Your kids are never going to be two and four again or five and seven or 13 and 15. And boy, um it's a constant battle and it's just getting more and more difficult. And especially people who are, you know, in the younger uh, generations, they don't have any reference point of those yeah. lazy afternoons. But a lot of times that's where the magic happens. I think that's, that's what true. you're alluding to with your question yeah. is like. Hey, when did you think about making a mayonnaise with a, a healthier thing well it might have been on a surf session or something for you when you know ideas pop into your head when you're not grinding nonstop.
1: stop yeah. you got to be in the flow state yeah um okay so bringing it back to performance here so i feel like you've done it all over the years you've been like committed to peak performance would you say like for your whole life i, I feel like yeah i
0: think i was a little kid and i was a little different i remember training for the olympics when i was seven Cause yeah. the, 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 72 Olympics came around and I was mesmerized watching these guys. And so I'd come home from, from elementary school and I set up a high jump bar in my backyard with a beanbag chair to land in and all that kind of fun stuff. But yeah, it's been a big part
1: of my life. Okay. So top three things over the course of this whole exploration of your life for peak performance, what do you think the top three things are that have made the biggest difference? performance-wise.
0: Uh, so like attributes that uh, you put into place or something?
1: Just like, I don't know, it's diet or is it a certain oh, training yeah. regimen? Is it like any switches you made along the way where you're like, I used to train like that and then I switched to training like this and everything changed for me. Like what would what would be the big tips?
0: Wow, great question. I love that. Um, one of them I kind of alluded to where it's super important to get over yourself and, you know, be patient with the process and let, put your ego aside in pursuit of true peak performance which means that you know you're doing things the correct way you're not trying to take shortcuts you're not being impatient or impulsive or letting your competitive intensity get the better of you. And I think we have a lot of people in this category that are highly motivated, type A, driven, focused, goal-directed, goal and all that's great. And those can be great weapons for you. It's gonna help you get accepted to school and graduate and get the job and rise up the, the ladder. Uh, however, they can also be uh, to tremendous detriment. And I learned that the hard way as an athlete. So the, the lessons of success and failure are so intense and dramatic and graphic in, in in sports that once I got my ass kicked a few times because I pushed myself too hard in training because I let my ego get the better of me, um, I woke up and realized that ain't ever happening again. I'm not going to leave another race out on the training course just because I want to uh, pass Mark Sisson because he's an old man and he shouldn't be running with me, a ranked triathlete. You know that that's over. And so I, I learned those lessons quickly. And so I guess that's number one. And then number two would be, um, you know, it's it's all-encompassing lifestyle. Almost all of our peak performance goals, right? So so is the workplace. And I I like how, you know, now there's some attention to these business leaders that actually are healthy and lead a balanced life. Um, Richard Branson is taking his recreation and, and trying to stay balanced um, he says the first thing he does after every day is look after himself. I love that quote. He looks after himself, which means he's going to go do a workout or play tennis or do what he does, uh, because I think for a lot of times we've glorified um, people who are successful in one realm of life, and that's it. So when I was an athlete, it it meant a lot to me to be a good sport and to congratulate Uh, The guy who won the race, even though my bike tire flatted and I'm extremely disappointed and devastated and flew across the world for no, um, you know, no result. But I wanted to stay in that positive mental state where I was enjoying the process, celebrating the success of others, even when I didn't have it myself. And I felt like that was where the growth experience was possible especially in the athletic room where you can really easily become selfish and, uh, you know, snap at your significant other in the parking lot. I told you to bring my other goggles, not those, you know, like, come on, man. <laughs>
1: the <laughs> prima donna athlete. <laughs> right, yeah and, yeah. and there's a
0: lot of that nonsense. Like today, the athletes misbehave every day. We can turn on the internet and yeah, uh, see another true. story. And so I don't care if you're a good basketball player, if you're a jerk off in real life and you don't make a contribution to the planet. So I think when you can come from a better space. And I felt like that was my my center of power and my my zone of genius or whatever you call it is when I was actually enjoying every aspect of the journey, even when my results weren't exactly what I wanted. And so that's something I try to carry forward into everything I've done in life, including being a parent where your parenting outcome is something that you can't control, but you think you can. So you can easily get frustrated by Um, whatever's going on that wasn't perfectly planned. And then you have to let go and say, I'm just going to do my best every day and not be attached to the outcome and not attach my own self-esteem to my child's outcome, which is the prevailing mode of today's parenting. I remember in basketball, my kid was, uh, they had a great group of kids. And you could tell in fourth or fifth grade, these guys were real athletes. And I coached them when they were little and they got to high school and they went 27-5, and five, two seasons in a row in basketball. So it's a small suburban school. And they went all the way to the second round of the state playoffs. So it was a great run to sit in the stands and watch. One of the favorite memories of my life is just watching and clapping for the team. But I remember like my son would score a basket and heads would turn in the stands to look at me and acknowledge me, and I'm like, what? I didn't score, you know, I'm clapping. because I'm like, that was an awesome play, but it's like this reflex that um, everyone's living through their kids instead of just, you know, I was clapping when the other kid scored too. It was like, great play, another great play. Oh, that's my son, but it wasn't like different than the other guy scoring. (laughs) And so I, I guess I'm hitting on number two, which is that big picture, healthy perspective toward peak performance. Yeah, I
1: like it. And number I three, I
0: don't know, you might have to help me with number three. Well,
1: I'm just like, I feel like you're you're in super good shape. You're still like a lot of athletes, like, you know, they perform and then like, you know, my husband played football in college, right? So there's a lot of football players who aren't <laughs> healthy later in life, right? So like, what are you doing to maintain like the peak performance mindset, like later in life, like for your own, just like, you know, out, of not mental, but like what actual tactical things are you doing in your daily life? like?
0: Yeah, that's great. Infrared
1: sauna, I don't know, red light (laughs) therapy. There's all people (laughs) are doing all sorts of crazy, all that stuff. Yeah. Like, what do you think is making the biggest difference for you?
0: Oh, the biggest difference is mindset. I mean, you nailed it. Like we have a lot of people who've had their heyday um, and then sit on the couch and watch the NFL for 11 hours on every weekend for the rest of their lives. And we we see this as normal that we have this accelerated decline into aging, which is so common that it's perceived to be normal. So when you're 40, you get a little spare tire. And then when you're 50, um, you start to fall apart and have to get more prescriptions. I think the average number of prescriptions for American is like 18. Average, average. I'm on zero right now. So that means the average is even higher because I'm a zero. Uh, But I think you have to formulate the mindset that, you know this is a lifelong um, journey and to maintain that competitive edge and those cool things that represented the essence of your youth or or your heyday or your prime, you want to maintain those throughout life. However, you also have to make adjustments and pursue goals that are age appropriate and context appropriate. So back in my 20s, I spent them sitting on a bike swimming laps in a pool, running on the trails, sleeping, eating and traveling to races. I don't wish to live that life anymore in in the later decades, but it was a nice reference point toward now, when I sneak into the high school field during COVID when everything was closed and I had to carry my own high jump standards to hold the bar. So I threw those over the fence, dragged them into position. And when I clear a bar in an empty high school stadium, I scream for joy so loud, and the feeling inside my body is identical to when I crossed the finish line, winning the national championships and getting interviewed by ESPN and having this thing that seemed really important and serious at the time. But right now, I have that same feeling inside my body. It feels like I'm in the Olympic Stadium with 90,000 people watching me, and I'm raising my hands. Or sometimes there's football practice going on, and the guys are looking over like, what's that guy's problem? You know, he's screaming in a high jump pit. Yeah, but. To have that edge it. to life and have, you know, meaning and purpose to what you're doing. Uh, Dr. Anna Lemke, the author of Dopamine Nation, she was a great uh, interview guest on my BRAD podcast. She said uh, sh- she wrote this, I think, or I heard it on another podcast. And when I connected with her, I said, you know, you gave the secret to life in one sentence. She goes, I did. What did I say? <laughs> I'm like, here's your quote. And she said, um, the, the, "the the things you do in your life can take on epic proportions, but it doesn't mean you have to climb to the top of the mountain. And I think uh, if we sit back and, and breathe and reflect on what that means, you know, we're so used to judging and comparing and seeing how we rank, and now I'm old and slow, so of course I have no, uh, you know, no cred in the triathlon world or whatever it is, Right. And, and then when we get really old, we get discarded by society and we don't value elders. We put them in a, in a home to uh, wither away and so forth. So um, whatever you're doing now, it, it it could and should take on epic proportions for you, even if you're not going to be uh, on TV or uh, a viral uh, personality or whatever.
1: Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So how are you staying in shape these days? Like, oh, but for, before we get into that, I want to know that. But I also want you to tell listeners about speed golf and what you were doing. Weren't you playing Pebble at Pebble Beach? Like fill fill us in a little bit about the speed golf thing because this is just like the fascinating. This is my favorite. I like tell random people about your speed golf. Oh, it's
0: time for a commercial. How about using primal kitchen salad dressing? It's great. And then secondly, (laughs) playing speed golf instead of regular slow boring golf. So this is this incredible sport that I've been passionate about for a long time. And they have actual tournament competitions where you go and play the the course and you keep score and they time you. And so they add your minutes and your strokes together. So every second counts on the course because it's adding to your total. So for example, people familiar with golf, like my best score in a speed golf tournament is 125. And that represents shooting a score of 78 and playing the course in 47 minutes. So, 47 minutes to play around a round of golf usually it takes four to five hours, as you probably know. And so that means I'm really moving. I'm carrying only a few clubs and Is a small a bag. Is there a rule like, can
1: you just take three clubs? You have a yeah, bag? Yeah.
0: You, you take as many clubs as you want. Okay. So you carry there's, your bag. Um, Six Iron Tony from Sweden plays with one club. He oh doesn't score God. as well as somebody with four or five clubs. So, I'm on like the five club program okay. where. Remember, you got to play good golf. And if you don't hit the ball straight and get it into the hole, you're the hole's going to take longer and yeah. you're running more. And so the best players in the world are playing par golf. I And 78 is a good score for me. I'm, yeah. I'm a pretty good player. But when I'm running and breathing hard and only have five clubs, it's really, um, you know, it's a fantastic peak performance to behold because we realize you don't need to take forever looking at your shot. You just grab a freaking club and swing and hit it. And usually it goes pretty good when you get out of your own way. And yeah, you that, probably
1: yeah. hit better, I would imagine. You don't have time in, to see up and everyone's staring at you and you think about it, it's <laughs> yeah. so mental. Yeah. This is just like, I don't have time, I can't. You don't have time to be in your head, you just hit it and run. You don't have time so to So you just head. like swing and then you just take off.
0: You, the ball's in the air and you're running towards okay. the next shot. And <laughs> I love this. Uh, when you hit a crappy shot, you don't have time to get frustrated either.
1: You, and you go were find playing, the ball. You were doing this like after hours at Pebble Beach, right? Like the course, yeah. do they like stop letting people off at a certain time because they're not going to make the full course and then you would just be out there playing the whole course in Yeah, an yeah. Hour so, and- so what
0: happens is um, it's not very social, Morgan, because we're running so fast yeah, that yeah. if I played in the day of golf, I would catch everybody because I could play the whole course in 47 minutes right. and I would disrupt every player. So speed golfers can play first thing in the morning, or right before dark. And so it's a good opportunity right before dark to go to any course when it's basically empty because the the last people might finish before dark, but they're on 16, 17, 18. Yeah. So I might go to the first hole and I'll play really quickly nine holes or 12 holes or whatever. And then it gets dark on me too. That's when I bust out the glow in the dark golf ball and I can play continuing on oh into gosh, the dark, yeah. which is another it's sport so in itself. <laughs> but yeah, speed golf's fun in that sense because it just shakes up the tradition of riding around in the car. You didn't get a workout. You ate a lot of potato chips and and, and beer and cigars and, um, you took a bunch of shots anyway, so this is more of an athletic sport and yeah, it's, so um, fun. It's really fun. It's just yeah, great. So.
1: I just love that you do this. I love that you're high jumping and doing speed golf still. Um, okay, so you've lived through it with me. We've been through the paleo diet, we've been mm. through the keto diet, this carnivore thing's evolving. Like, what is your take on all of these, um, like for lack of a better term, like dogmatic um diet? Mm. Yeah. That's have been in existence since, you know, I don't know, they've been popularized the last, let's say ten years. What's your thoughts?
0: Well, it's been, it's been a great journey, and one of the probably the best thing is the increased awareness by the general public person you're sitting next to on the airplane or whatever. And so if you uh, throw out a term like ancestral health or paleo or keto, they now nod their head and uh, have some reference point to, uh, you know honoring our genetic expectations for health by eating natural foods and, and things that weren't really talked about. Uh, prior to 10, 15 years ago. And so that's really cool because um, it's hard to, uh, you know, discount the evolutionary health rationale that we are meant to live a certain way. We're not supposed to be blasting our eyeballs with light, lighted screens deep into the night uh, or eating processed foods that, um, you know, are, are made in an offensive manner. And so the more that can just emanate into culture, uh, is wonderful because we're looking at a major crisis here that just kind of hums in the background and people aren't really respecting the the severity of how we're killing ourselves with uh, not only processed foods, but all these adverse lifestyle behaviors, more comfort, more convenience, less activity, less movement, and all those things. Uh, but as we now proceed to get deeper into the discussion, of course, uh, our listeners on this channel are uh, well-versed in all this stuff. Um, that's when it starts to become a little bit uh, frustrating and confusing. And I realize the more I live and breathe this stuff and the more research I do and the more people I talk to in depth, um, the, the more I realize how little I know and how easy it is to get confused and kind of um, um, frustrated by uh, all the nuance. And I think that's actually a sign of uh, good critical thinking. So I congratulate myself for being confused and frustrated. Thank you very much. <laughs> but on the, on the flip side would be someone who's so incredibly dogmatic that they're going to uh, put up the, uh, the the statement, the proclamation that um, a, a vegan diet and lifestyle uh, equates with moral superiority, and you're going to live longer, and you're going to be um, you know you're a vibrating the at the highest level. Yeah,
1: you're you know, saying, it's yeah, like everything.
0: Um, you know, This kind of stuff is where you start to get um, the, um, the, the hair raising on the back of your neck because um, the sincere interest in health can actually be counterproductive to someone who's more open-minded and admits how little they know or, and be willing to change their mind and think critically. And I give a lot of credit to Mark as, as, and him being the role model for this type of approach where he's open-minded we have changed our position in books and recreated the food pyramid and restated the fitness objectives over time, subject to the influence of new information. Similarly, uh, when the carnivore diet, the animal-based diet kind of bursts onto the scene, I thought it represented a big turning point for me, like a fork in the road, where I reflected for a moment and said, hey, um, these plant foods are, by... Um, laboratory analysis, they're not as nutrient-dense as the superstar animal-based foods like pasture-raised eggs and red meat and organ meat and uh, oily cold-water fish. And yes, they have nutritional benefits and properties, but... um, going hand in hand with the level of nutritional benefit is the potential for a toxic uh, adverse reaction, the plant toxins. So when I'm eating my uh, kale smoothie with raw beets and raw celery and raw kale and raw spinach and stuffing it into the blender in the name of, you know, extreme exquisite health and going above and beyond what the average person is doing, and then my stomach's bloating out every day for three hours and feeling, you know, painful. Um, I started to have some reflections that maybe this wasn't helping me like it's been uh, advertised. And then we have to start to, you know, look at our personal sensitivities to certain things. Everyone knows about peanut allergy and gluten sensitivities and and severe gluten allergy, celiac disease and all that. Uh, but there's this spectrum that's now being, you know, made aware very nicely by the people who are healing from uh, suffering from autoimmune inflammatory conditions by removing many plant foods that are widely regarded as um, superior healthy. And of course, we know um, with great certainty now, that the 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 uh, vilification of red meat and eggs because of their high cholesterol is um, you know 40 to 50 years behind the emerging research so no offense to someone who's still spouting that but they're 40 50 years behind and there's you know not much more you can say about that and if you're in a position of authority like a physician and you're giving diet advice day after day to patients but you have no Formal training or experience, and you don't spend a lot of time on the emerging research—that's um, really objectionable too. So let's yeah. Rhonda DePace sure. was
1: just there's just like a recent study that, and a lot of these like meat, you know, these studies that say eating red meat's bad for you is like it, it was. It, they're finding there's like maybe more of a tie with the nitrites, right? Like there's like some, some super processed food that has you know nitrates into this process, like hot dogs or something along those lines. And so we've bunched together filet mignon with you know, a hot dog. And then the, the the problem isn't actually red meat. The problem is actually what's being added. Yeah, to and this, this
0: healthy user bias is fascinating too, because people who have a sincere interest in health have been doing what they're told for years and decades. So if the government and the leading authorities are saying, hey, cut back on your fat intake and eat a lot of plants and green foods and colorful plates uh, and, and whatever they're saying, the people who do that are healthier in 97 other ways. And it could be, this is where I have an objection with the Blue Zones, where the Blue Zones is uh, pushing a plant-based agenda and saying that these people live longer and they happen to eat a lot of plant foods. Well, guess what? They also walk around all day. They also visit with their neighbors. They don't have modern stresses. And they also um, eat a lot of really healthy, nutritious meats that we chose not to highlight. Because we're pushing pushing an agenda, and yeah. um, boy, um, there's almost it's really difficult to remain open minded and think critically when you can't spend all day on this. And so I'm trying now because I've had a lot of enthusiasm and written whole books about keto and whole books about this and whole books about that. And now it's like um, when I gather with my childhood friends, we all grew up in L.A. and we meet up regularly every couple few months and sit around and eat dinner and, and laugh and, you know, catch up. And recently my friend uh, walks in with takeout nachos and he comes up to me and he goes, Brad, nachos, healthy? Yes or no? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, where did you get them? What is that cheese? Is it, is it from the machine or is it actual cheese? You know, um, but he just wanted that quick answer and and I'm, I'm not teasing. I'm saying like this is where a lot of us stand. We're very busy uh, producing movies in Hollywood or whatever's going on in your yeah. life. You don't have time to spend, uh, you know, hours and hours studying this stuff. I just want to know: nachos healthy? Yes or no? And if we can back up ten steps and talk about from you know the starting point before we can converse any further, you got to clean up your diet, people. You got to eliminate processed foods. And once you do that, then you can open the gateway to better health and a break. Right. The, the main breakthrough is actually being good at burning energy internally. Mark Sisson talking about metabolic flexibility for years and years. It's like, this means that you can burn fat, you can burn sugar if you happen to take a hit of sugar once in a while, and you can carry on without being dependent on nutrient deficient processed foods to get through your day because you suck at burning energy internally. And the way you got that way was stuffing your face with processed foods for years and decades. We know the seed oils interfere with fat burning. We know the processed sugar uh, releases, it's called endotoxins, internally produced toxins into the bloodstream, which interfere with your ability to burn energy. So what happens is you burn through your uh, waffles with syrup and uh, cereal for breakfast, and you're hungry in two hours. So you have to get a, a nutrient deficient, heavily processed energy bar. Just to burn that cheap fuel source and then dig yourself a further hole. So, if we can just focus on like eating f- meals with wholesome, natural, easy to digest foods, um, we're going to start unlocking our potential to, you know, function at a high level and also regulate calorie intake and satiety and all those things naturally where we don't have to bust out an app or a chart and check our macros <laughs> and uh, oh god i mean it's nature. so far
1: beyond that now like i'm wearing my levels glucose monitor i mean that like i feel like everyone's monitoring everything these days i'm like a, a an information junkie so I, I yeah like i mean anything
0: around. whatever it takes to get you to the next level that's beautiful right so all these uh Techniques, strategies, restrictive diets, uh, you know, well-intentioned rules and regulations, those all serve an important purpose because they keep us um, from unfettered access to indulgent foods, which otherwise is what we have. I can open up a different window on my screen while we're talking if I want and order DoorDash (laughs) to arrive. You know, like we we can always get ourselves in trouble unless we have some discipline, focus, feedback to honor to. That's why I love the continuous glucose monitors. You can see in real time that taking a walk after dinner has a positive impact on your life that's different than reading it in a book. And so, um, you know, we don't want to get carried away with all the stuff because we want a simple, sustainable plan. And so I always like to start by saying, look, First, let's clean out your pantry and your kitchen, and then we can talk about nuance yeah. and optimizing.
1: It's so true. What are you eating these days?
0: I'm on the meat and fruit plan, Morgan. And honey, I think, the honey.
1: Are you like to add honey and raw milk and meat and fruit or just? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll okay. put that
0: stuff in. Yeah, especially for making my smoothie, my primal fuel in the morning and my B-Rad super fuel protein and all these great, uh, you know, things I'm trying to optimize. And, with. And how
1: are you feeling? Like, how do you compare to like, are you in ketosis? Are you not in ketosis?
0: Um, so I say, you know, the, the one uh, fork in the road I had was getting together with Mark in 2008 and him talking about the primal blueprint idea and saying, okay, here's the deal. Um, You don't eat grains anymore because grains are not from ancestral, they're from civilization. And I'm like, "Uh, so like, is oatmeal okay? Uh, What about cereal? Like, I didn't even know what a grain was. You know, okay, no more bread. What about pasta? No pasta. What about oatmeal? What about cereal? So I went into the ancestral realm, the, the primal diet back then in 2008, and then um, you know this this emergence of the animal-based movement caused me to rethink the need to put salads at my centerpiece and raw produce into a smoothie. The highest form of plant toxins when they're in raw form, and so I, I kind of transitioned to a more animal-based diet, ancestral-style diet, and then when you start to uh, you know, restrict a macro like a uh, carbs in the name of uh, pursuing ketogenic diet and all the benefits. Again, it serves a tremendous purpose and it fine-tunes your ability to burn energy internally. Same with fasting, right? And fasting uh, can give you a break from, let's say, the di- digestive distress caused by years and decades of eating processed foods. And it also can keeps you from unregulated access to the indulgent foods. And so all those things have a wonderful purpose. But as I continue to step up the staircase, like I want to go from level eight to level nine.
1: Yeah, that's what I want to know.
0: I also have to admit, I don't know if I'm at level six or level eight right now. (laughs) I might be at level four trying to go to level six. And so I want to be open to all possibilities. And so personally, um, I'm rethinking the role of a restrictive diet in my life because a restrictive diet is a form of stress to the body. So when you fast and the
1: mind, let's be honest and the mind. Good point. It's kind of obsessive. Good point. I mean, you're talking to a female, right? Like females are we are the queens of restrictive diet. We're like, tell us what we can't Mm -hmm. eat to be skinny (laughs) and look young forever. And we're in like, you know, and that's a different mindset than a male who's been a performance. I mean, you've never had to worry about your weight in your life, I would imagine. Have you
0: a couple couple uh wonderful occasions where fatty popcorn boy was eating so much popcorn at night and not paying attention. So I, yeah. I, I did a show on that topic where I had to, I stepped on the scale and, and like the first time in my adult life, I'm like, oh, that can't be right. <laughs> and then I'm yeah. like, oh, But geez. women, <laughs> I mean, we've
1: been restricting shit out of yeah. our diet for like, yeah. for Mess with our, your head. that's all that messes with your head. It makes yeah. you obsessed with eating food. You actually yeah. then I think are more hungry because you're walking around all day thinking like, I can't eat this. I can't eat that. So then you're just Obsessing about food and then you're eating, you want to eat more, and then it's harder to not eat more. I think it's a hard, it's a tough mindset.
0: Yeah, that's a good it's point. Tough mindset. So we have anyway, the physical stress and the, emotional and the mental stress. stress. Yeah. And the physical stress comes in the form of um, the stress response, which is kicked into gear when you don't consume any calories in the morning and you go about your busy day, especially a workout or whatever you're doing. And so Um, Same with keto. You're you're severely restricting carbs to force the body to make ketones as a survival mechanism, uh, a a byproduct of of very low um, carbohydrate intake and low glycogen in the liver. And so this is, as touted, a wonderful health boosting uh, practice because your body goes into survival mode where immune function improves, anti-inflammatory processes kick into gear, um, cell repair, autophagy, the widely regarded autophagy, everything kicks into high gear because you're starving yourself to prompt a survival response and help the body work more efficiently. So this can be life-changing for people that have been slamming too much food their whole lives and not moving enough and not burning enough energy. Uh, But now as I realize, my main focus for longevity, disease protection, and enjoying my life is to perform and recover, and perform and recover again, and perform and recover. And the world's leading longevity experts like Peter Attia and many others are contending that maintaining functional muscle mass, muscle strength throughout life is the number one predictor of longevity, disease prevention, Uh, avoiding falling, which is the number one cause of demise and death in Americans over age 65, just routine falling. Then they break a hip, then they get in the hospital, then they get inactive, they never climb out of that hole. And so I want to be coming from that athletic realm that I reference and just do the most active, energetic, high-performance lifestyle I can muster. Of course, I don't want to overdo it either, but I want to perform and recover to my best abilities So now, where does diet come into that? I already have sufficient stress when I'm going to the gym and lifting weights, sprinting, doing a long hike, challenging myself physically with performance and needing to recover. So I want to strive for maximum nutrition and maximum cellular energy status at all times. That will help me perform and recover better. And Dr. Tommy Wood, one of the great leaders in, the, in our ancestral health scene, um, he told me this uh, many years ago, and I've uh, paid attention to it at, at different levels, but now it's centerpiece. And he says um, he wants healthy athletic people to consume as much nutritious food as possible until they gain a pound of fat, and then you can dial it back a little bit, and that's when you realize you're optimal. And Interesting. That, uh Contrasts a little bit with some of the longevity experts who are contending that if you can uh, minimize your calorie intake, you're going to extend your lifespan. All those studies have been uh, coming from uh, rat studies, not humans. And in the rat studies, one glaring flaw here is that rats eat lousy laboratory chow, junk food, when they're getting studied uh, so of so if course restri- if you take
1: it out it's y- going to show right Yeah. But, you eat, uh, l-
0: if you eat less junk food you're going to live longer life yeah, right got so it. i'm kind of mm-hmm. flipping this on its side and thinking um you know how is can it I, is it how the how calorie restriction
1: or is it the quality of the diet
0: yeah yeah and then okay. you know how can i get as much nutrition in my body as i need to be optimal um, i don't want to gain a pound of fat just because i'm eating too much but when I have eliminated processed foods and I eat the most enjoyable foods from uh, you know all the great categories, I eat as much as I want all the time. I'm never depriving myself or worried or thinking about it, and I'm full and satisfied and energetic and all those great things. And so I contend that most every healthy person, if they get up off their butt more and do more physical movement throughout the day. I'm not talking about killing yourself in the gym and you have to go sign up for CrossFit, otherwise you're gonna get left behind. I'm talking about just longer walks for the dog, more frequent, yes, some explosive energetic work as we talk about Primal Blueprint Fitness, and yes, the cardio obligation to, to move and, and you know go out there and spend time on your feet. All those things will conspire to help you live a long, healthy, active, energetic life. But my big concern, which has come into focus, is I don't want to stack too many stressors. So if I'm trying for sprinting, for a lot of activity during the day, for my elaborate morning exercise routine, which I do every day, which takes 40 minutes, and it's pretty, it's pretty challenging, um, I don't want to then fast and start making life more stressful than it should be and prompting a compensatory response, which would be Turning down thyroid, turning down adrenal, feeling tired, sluggish, and all those things that people feel on restrictive diets. I want to bounce up the next morning and go kick some more ass. And so, um, people. So challenges- you're working
1: on not restricting. So you're working. Yeah, on yeah. Just eating so as I've traded.
0: This is starting in May, 2022. I give a lot of credit to Jay Feldman, Energy Balance Podcast for explaining this in a really compelling manner and causing me to wake up a bit um, when he said, hey, let's face it, fasting turns on stress hormones. That's the mechanism by which you're going to get through your morning until your wonderful 16-8 eating window opens, and then you can nourish yourself and start burning that energy, hopefully from a nice nutritious meal. But it's like, wait, I don't want stress hormones to turn on until I get to the running track. And then I want to light them all up and do my fantastic workout and then come home and turn down the stress hormones. And so I- So you're I've,
1: using fasting only before, like, exercise?
0: Uh, yeah, it, I mean, you know, when necessary, like you don't want or to go at all. You or you're stuff not using your face. All, right? I'm, I'm trying not to. So when I wake up in the morning, I will now eat horrors. I, I can't believe I'm saying this on, on the air. Um, I'll have a little bit of dried fruit, and then I'll go into my 40-minute session. And then I'll do a sprint workout or whatever. But uh, as soon as I'm done with the activity, I will slam a giant bowl of fruit and a huge protein, high-energy smoothie with uh, frozen liver chunks in there, high-quality protein, and a lot of um, frozen fruit uh, and all my performance agents, like the creatine and things I put in there. And so I'm getting fully fueled with good nutrition every single morning, Or I'll make a bunch of eggs and uh, have a nice meal. Uh, But something is happening instead of fasting. And this is a purposeful, experimental journey to uh, see if that might help me perform and recover better. Here's an interesting thing that's happened. Um, This has been going on now for nine months. I have the same body composition, same body weight. I'm not quantifying everything, but guess who did? Ryan Baxter, primal health coach in uh, the East Coast. He has everything he's an engineer by trade and so he he has categorized his diet and everything he's eaten for years and how many calories and how many macros full uh, you know full data set he started this experiment to consume more nutritious food and it lasted 1 year he ate an average of 700 calories extra each day for a year and at the end of the year same body weight, same body composition. I think he'd lost a you know, percentage of body fat, but essentially the same. So the question is, where'd those calories go? I know this is only one person, but this is the idea that it promoted a more active energetic lifestyle for him so he could do an extra set of deadlifts, recover in two days instead of three. All this is hypothetical, but this I think is you're asking me how I feel. I feel like I'm not going to sit here and say um, my life is been transformed because I now eat fruit and smoothie in the morning because I don't like people trafficking and bullshit hyperbole. It's like, I I feel, I felt pretty good before and I I feel great now. Um, but it, it does make a lot more sense to me that we really try hard to mitigate the stress factors in our life. And so if you're in a stressed state already and you try to go do a keto program, or, or, or dig deeper into fasting, or train harder, you're going to mess yourself up every time. So we have to protect our stress rest balance at all times. And nutritious, easy to digest food of the highest quality is going to, you know, support your recovery and your stress rest balance. And that's, um, you know, that's a that's a good argument for. Um, backing off from things that can push you over the edge in a sense. And the females are especially sensitive to this because, um, the, you know, the, the number one most prominent biological drive is, uh, reproductive fitness for the female. And the most extreme example of abusing this are in the elite female, especially in the endurance scene, uh, the low body fat. Uh, elites with the six-pack or the the people in social media or whatever CrossFit games, um, they cease menstruation. So they lose their reproductive fitness in pursuit of competitive uh, success. And that is a sign of the body turning down very, very important dials for overall health and vitality because the stress level of the training is too high. And so... If you are experimenting, people with restrictive dieting, uh ambitious exercise schedule, and you have an asshole boyfriend who's mean to you sometimes, these are all stress factors on the same side of the scale as this the fasting session or the uh, the ketogenic macros that you're following.
1: Interesting, Brad. Very interesting. I'm the, Which one, the boyfriend or the um, all of it, yeah. all of it? <laughs> I'm, but I'm the like kind of reminds me a little it's like borrowing a little bit from like Lane Norton like the whole like bodybuilding scene like I remember I worked out with this one like female she was like a bodybuilding competitor type and I was working out with her for a little bit and afterwards she's like all right we're gonna go to my house we have to like eat chocolate chip cookies and I was like I'm not what the I'm not going I'm not eating chocolate chip cookies after a workout like what and she's like oh yeah this this woman was like she was fit. I mean, she was like cut. She wasn't like bulky. She was just a really cut fit woman. <laughs> but I just thought that was like insane. Uh, but this whole like, you know, that whole thing is kind of a little bit maybe overlapping with more of that mentality. Yeah, I
0: like you mentioned um, Lane Norton because he makes a good point now that the biggest problem is energy toxicity, quote, meaning we eat too much freaking food and we don't burn enough energy. Yeah. And so that trumps everything. And he's not even that concerned, like, oh, seed oils. I know that people make a big deal about that. Ah, uh, you know, and, and sugar. And I'm like, whoa, you know, people who are, who are backing off from that are pretty rare. But he says right. the, the main point here is this, this equation where when we stuff our faces with too much food, that's when fat and cholesterol do bad things in our arteries. It's because of all the extra sugar and the 7-Eleven Slurpee combined with the eggs and the red meat and all this stuff that we're now understanding. If you don't burn enough energy and you eat too much energy, even if it's, let's say, a lot of nutritious stuff, you're going to put yourself into um, adverse health consequences. So if we're like I like I said at the start, like hey, let's look at big picture here and, and ditch processed foods. The other thing on the list would be just simply move more throughout the day and work your muscles. Especially, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon talks about muscle centric medicine, and we've always been obsessed with like keeping the fat off our body so we don't get uh, sick and diseased and and all those kind of things. But if you just instead focus on keeping the muscle on your body your body composition is gonna take care of itself pretty well, as well as your blood work and your metabolic disease risk profile because you're active. Now, yeah, you can be a muscle person and and just slam a bunch of chocolate chip cookies and that's not gonna be optimal. That's gonna be level seven instead of level nine. Uh, But that bodybuilder who's slamming the chocolate chip cookies probably ranks above the person who had a keto bar (laughs) at their desk. And 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 sat all day. Yeah. And
1: fasted in the morning. and yeah. Right,
0: and fasted yeah. in the morning. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's interesting. Yeah. Very um, interesting. Jay had
0: a good one-liner when I interviewed him. Um, he said, if you claim to feel better in the morning because you're fasting, we got to take a look at that shitty-ass breakfast you ate. Yeah. If you eat a nutritious breakfast like I described with wonderful pasture-raised eggs or a really high-quality smoothie and a bowl of fresh fruit, um, we're going to expect that you feel better uh, you know than than even fasting. but uh, people feel good fasting and they feel great on keto because of the stress mechanisms that are kicking into gear. And I yeah. think that's an important distinction. And there's also another distinction from Mark who says he is so good at metabolic flexibility that it's really not that stressful for him to fast every day until 1 p.m., including slam out an impressive workout in the morning. So he's done such hard work to get to that level of extreme metabolic efficiency and metabolic flexibility that he too is thriving at a high level in life because of his commitment to fitness, because of his commitment to eating healthy, nutritious foods. And so we don't really have a dispute. I had to sit down with Mark and, and he's always my go-to guy when I get confused and frustrated. Like, Mark, what about this, you know, energy balance model where you're, you're, you know, not fasting, you're doing this, you're doing that. And we all kind of land in the same destination, which is we're putting only the best foods in our mouth that we really enjoy and to give us good nutrition. And we're trying to lead that healthy, active, energetic lifestyle.
1: Yeah, interesting. I love it. Um, what do you think about all these, like, you know that you got a lot of these like longevity people who are taking like rapamycin or um, metformin yeah. or like ozépic. I feel like this Ozepic thing is like it's explosive. But like, what do you take? What's your take on all these drugs?
0: Well, especially when it comes to like hormone replacement, which is, you know, or a huge thing. Therapy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I put all these things in the category of... Um, you know, we, I'm trying to be open-minded and and pay attention to all the optimization that we can experience today from, from advanced medicine. But it's like that talk about your diet. If you still have processed foods in the mix, why even talk about, you know, um, anything else or any, any strategy besides just getting rid of the bad stuff.
1: So you're saying like, fine, if you want to go there, if you're trying to be Elite, But you got to take you got to clean your house first.
0: Yeah. And what I see is a lot of level four players going in for hormone replacement to cover up for adverse lifestyle practices. And there is a concept called aromatization, which is when you convert extra testosterone into estrogen because you have visceral fat, which causes inflammatory condition in the body. And so when you're unhealthy and you have that spare tire as evidence of your unhealthiness and your inflammatory state, and you go get a shot of testosterone or make it naturally, whatever, um, you have a tendency to convert it into estrogen. And so what happens then is if you start down the unhealthy path of getting a spare tire, It sets you up for getting a bigger spare tire because whatever testosterone you have that'll help you get that six pack instead is converted into estrogen because of the inflammatory state. Uh, The the visceral fat secretes these things called inflammatory cytokines into the bloodstream. So it's, it's classically defined as its own organ. Your spare tire is a separate organ in the body because it has the ability to secrete a substance into your bloodstream that causes adverse inflammatory condition. And so I feel like the the real battle in the years ahead for those of us that are over 35 or whatever, is to keep that spare tire off and try to optimize hormones naturally. So if you're doing everything you can and you're checking all these boxes and now you want a little boost, uh, at age 57, Mark Bell asked me on his podcast, he goes, Brad, why aren't you on hormone replacement? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Should I be? He's like, I freaking love it. And I've talked to Mark at length about this. I had you, you had your great interview with Mark where everybody got to learn about his hormone replacement regimen. But guess what? Mark's checking 11 boxes in a row And then the 12th one is, yeah, let me uh, optimize further because now he's 70 years old and he still wants to kick people's butt on the Frisbee field or on the And for Mark,
1: like, who knows? It might not even make that big of a difference because he's already so optimized. You know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. One could argue, like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah,
0: one one could argue that, um, you know... Um, same with Liver King. Like he's he's so extreme in his lifestyle that he he would look like that even without, you know, dosing up. And so well, he's my, been
1: posting now his photos like 10 days natty. Like he's documenting <laughs> his natural journey. Right. Like he's going to shrink. He's going to shrink. He, shrink he more does attention. seem he seems fitter. Have you been you've been following? Oh, sure. Following, yeah. We're friends. Seems, and yeah. Thinner, though. He does seem thinner on this. Yeah. He, well, yeah. or he just came off some, like, long fast or something. <laughs> I don't know if following, but...
0: I mean, that, that so, so my answer is, like, I'll be open-minded to anything that can help me live a long, active, energetic, productive life. And, boy, if it comes to the time where I'm doing everything right and you I'm seeing can. my numbers take, go down the staircase... Um, that's when I'm going to be really open-minded. But right now, as I've shared on my Instagram, like my testosterone, uh, serum testosterone is very high. It's down there at the optimal level for ages 20 to 30. And interestingly enough, when I was between the ages of 20 to 30, my testosterone was tanked. And I got it measured all the time because my brother worked in the the laboratory in the hospital. And I'd come in there with my tail between my legs, like, yeah, I'm kind of burnt out again. Maybe you should take my blood. And my hematocrit, my red blood cells were suppressed and my testosterone was suppressed. And it was due to the extreme training regimen of being out there and training for hours every day. That's gonna kill your sex hormones. And um, boy, it's it's a tough way to live, but that's the price you pay to go for elite level. But now in my 50s, I want as as a centerpiece goal, hormone optimization and anti-aging strategy. And that's gonna keep me off the starting line of the Ironman or a marathon because those are things that are not inherently supportive of general health and longevity, unlike sprinting and high jumping, I think are strongly correlated with peak performance and strength and power and things that you want to preserve as you age.
1: Yeah. And what's your supplement regimen like these days?
0: Well, I do. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the organ supplements. And I, I don't even know if I'd call them a supplement because it's really food yeah. in a capsule. I mean, that's true. I never yeah. thought about that. And yeah. um, I love taking protein and creatine. So uh, I've taken the, the Primal products for so long, and now I have my own, so we can still be friends. But um, people who are you know, on this path are looking for the ones with the most research that are easy to sustain and integrate into your, um, your regimen. And then I experiment with all kinds of crap, <laughs> and it's been going on forever. Of course, I've been knee-deep into this stuff. Um, yeah. And so stuff comes and goes, and I'm always open to experimenting. But it is sort of a chore, even for me, to just remember to take all these things and then go order more. And so I I really, you know, I like the idea of being in a clean living as possible and not needing all these interventions. Um, But again, when we have the opportunity to, for example, get into a cold plunge, Hey, that's great. I know the ocean's there too, uh, but or, or Lake Tahoe for me. And yeah. um, I certainly prefer open water, uh, yeah. you know, a cold experience for the nature some experience ions, and all
1: that. ions right. from nature. Yeah. But
0: if, if you don't have access to that, we want set, to set you up for success and have all these things at your disposal that you're interested in and, and want to budget for. And I think that's really fun to see people see the explosion in the marketplace for things like cold plunge and red light therapy and supplements and, and yeah. all that stuff
1: your protein what is it what's in your protein powder is it it's breastfed
0: whey, or... whey isolate and then i have creatine like... infused so it's kind of a Smart. unique product yeah there just... is
1: so much research on creatine and how yeah. like good it is i feel like it has such a bad reputation like as a girl i'd be like i would a... creatine like what the, f- the mm. here i am again but that's what the yeah. football team took when i was in high school yeah, right for like, sure Yeah. And yeah, some nasty side effects if you take too much of it or whatever. But I think, like, I think a a practical creatine dose is probably something a lot of listeners should be thinking about incorporating as an easy way to kind of boost.
0: I mean, it's super interesting to see the emerging research is on brain neurons and the protective aspect that creatine has. So, really simply, creatine is the pure energy inside the cell that produces ATP. So, when you're going for a sprint effort of zero to seven seconds, you are you are burning creatine. It's ATP, creatine phosphate pathway. And so it's an energizing element of the cell. And it's difficult to get enough in the diet. If you eat two pounds of meat every day, like Dr. Sean Baker, you probably don't need to supplement with creatine. Everyone else can take a really hard look at it because of the uh, pr- a protective effect it has on the brain neurons. Because the brain neurons are very sensitive to getting enough energy And who's it? Dr. Suzanne Delamonte, Brown University. She coined uh, a nickname for Alzheimer's, which is the literal truth, type 3 diabetes.
1: Yeah. Because Alzheimer's
0: and related dementia conditions are characterized by dysfunctional glucose metabolism in the brain, which is diabetes in other cells. And so when your brain neurons don't get the energy they need, you got big trouble headed headed uh, headed your way, and so supplementing with creatine, giving those brain neurons the the actual energy source they need has a great benefit to the brain and then we 've known for decades the most studied supplement ever uh, because it in, improves muscle strength, muscle power, muscle recovery, and it brings nutrients into the cell, including water, so you reference like People freaked out about creatine. People who are abusing it or taking like a super supplemental dose, they'll get waterlogged and bloated because their muscle cells are so volumized with extra water. And of course, you can overdo it on anything and including that. But like that's talking about taking 25 grams a day instead of five, the recommended dose. And so... Uh, Cynthia Thurlow, she's got a really good female following for her podcasts and her books. She's she's selling her own creatine because she's so strong on the research for even for uh, the, the the slender female who wants to go do Pilates and you know recover from it the next day. So it's it's I think it's going to be here to stay, and that's a nice uh, another category to answer your question. Like the organ supplements are pretty difficult to second guess or dispute, and I'm not super great at cooking up a heart every night for dinner or a kidney on the side. Um, I'm trying to get my liver into my smoothie too. So I have the the raw grass-fed liver and then a ton of organ capsules, including my own product called MoFo, and then the protein, the creatine. And then they, the mixed bag of tricks. If we did hidden camera in my office, I got a ton of crap in there now. And we'll see how, we'll see a year later if I'm still taking it, you know?
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, there's like a never ending rotating supply of supplements coming yeah. in and out of my house. It's like, that's what I stress by supplements. But um, okay, we're <laughs> almost out of time here. So I have, let's see, like one last question for you that I ask everyone, but what's something most people don't know about you?
0: Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> You're, you're a pretty open book, but I feel like there's got to be some good nuggets in here.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Um, and I didn't prepare, as the audience might know, well, from my I authentic don't... pause here.
1: Yeah, yeah, you should have.
0: Uh, okay, so I'm a podcast host, right, uh, for a long time. And I realized from getting interviewed by my friend Dave Rossi, he actually interviewed me on my own podcast, so we just kind of turned oh, the mic. It. it was published on my channel, the B-Rad Uh And he kind of backed me into a corner with a similar question, and I realized that all of us, when we are on camera, in a public setting, on the microphone, we're putting on an act. So this is, I'm trying to be as honest, open, authentic as possible, but it's still still an act, which is okay. Because you don't want to hear about my, uh, they, they stole my catalytic converter off my Prius, and I'm so pissed about it, and I was worried about it before, and then they did it. I knew they were going to do it, but people don't care to, to listen to the authentic Brad lament his misfortune uh, that happened recently. And so I'm trying to put on this um, presentation of being honest, enthusiastic, positive, and all those great things. And it's pretty much true to life, but... It's a different level than, hey, you and I talked about, uh, you know before we hit record, we had a conversation. Sorry, listeners, we, maybe we'll record it next time. And Morgan's glad to come back from Florida, back to her home in California. And I'm wondering if I can handle the cold uh, Tahoe winters and whether I want to go to Hawaii or not. And that's kind of fun, interesting stuff. Yeah. But I think it's nice to, um, for me, I'm trying to peel back more and more layers. And so when I talk on my podcast, I have a tendency in life to be non-confrontational and that might be a a strike against me. And so I want to speak my truth, even to the extent that I might offend somebody I'm talking about rather than being super polite about every single thing or saying, you know, a throwaway comment like, well, that's interesting, Morgan. Do you have a lot of research to back that up? You know, that's like a snide way of saying you're full of shit, but I didn't want to say it that way. Um, So I think it's kind of cool about the podcast scene and the modern media where we can cut through a lot of those layers where it's not as much a performance. But the thing the listeners don't know about me is it's still a little bit of a performance And I'll be continuing to work on that and try to just shoot from, you know, when Liver King uh, got busted for lying, I did a show uh, commenting on it and talking about my personal relationship with him. Also, the fact that I talked to him before I did the show, which I might point out is a good thing to do when you're, you know, instead of uh, nitpicking and, and, you know, kind of public, public display of virtuosity... Uh, so after my conversation with him, I went on and did a whole commentary about it. And of course, he did. He needs to apologize to everybody. And you shouldn't lie, especially when you're in a public position. And I had to reflect on the 400 something shows I published. And I realized I have not lied or embellished one inch ever. And I, I can't imagine doing it on a podcast or in public to say that I do this, but I don't really do it. So when yeah. I say I jump in the cold ocean and go for a swim in the winter, I actually did do it. <laughs> I'm not just pretending. Yeah. And so um, that's good to know also. Whew. What a binge at the end. She wasn't prepared for a monologue. <laughs> well,
1: I have to say, like, I know you personally off the podcast realm and you are not someone you are a naturally very enthusiastic human being, regardless of whether or not there's a camera around. So I feel like, um, you know. For what it's worth, yeah. So you don't you. strike so me as you. someone who's like, I'm really turning it on, and I'm like, oh god, this guy's like full of crap. You know what I mean? Like, you know what's a, a,
0: a good answer yeah. there because I want to be vulnerable and give give a, a, a true answer to what you said. Um, a lot of times, I use that as a coping mechanism, and so I'm smiling my way through life, even yeah, when you, that is I'm true suffering. of you.
1: Yeah, that is yeah. true of you. You are, you do always have, you're, you're like the typical, like, I don't, this is me being br- very brutally honest here, but like, you're like the, like the psychological, like class clown, maybe like you could have been like, How Oh, you know I can, <laughs> I'll i just, just comedic relief. Yeah. And then I'm fine. Like, yeah. and I'm going to avoid, I'm going to avoid all the dicey conversations or the dicey space. Cause I'm, I'm yep. but, but that's a, you know, our greatest strengths are our greatest weaknesses, right? Like that's a skill that will serve you. But it might also hurt you sometimes. Uh, I could
0: have worse problems, but, you you know, the class clown was the I was the class clown. Uh, I don't know how you figured that out, but um, it started uh, with a bang in eighth grade when I brought the house down and um, that was a cover up for shyness, insecurity, yeah. too shy to talk to the girl that I liked, all these things. But boy, if I was in the classroom, I could I could bust it up every time. And then as soon as I left the door of the classroom and I saw uh, Elisa across the hall, I was too shy to go up and, and say hi. So um, definitely maybe those same patterns are... Um, are playing out. You know what my, my quip was? We were watching the most tense period of eighth grade was watching the sex education movies. And the teacher warned us over and over, no snickering, no joking around. Oh. You have to watch this and concentrate on it. And I don't want to warn you again. Anyone will be immediately removed from the room if they make any cracks or anything. And uh, we're almost done with the movie. We made it through okay as a group, you know. And um, she stopped. She goes, I don't know if we're going to finish today. Um... Let's see. The movie's almost over, but how long does the period last? And I Stop. raised my hand. And I said twenty-eight days, and everyone just cracked up, and so you know, it just came out like I couldn't yeah. help it. That was my. Sounds class like clown. there could have
1: been there could have been a lot of innuendos to to that this is a statement there, but um. she set us up. Yep. <laughs> I love it. Well, thanks Brad. This is awesome. Hey, let everyone know where they can find your protein powder supplement, your podcast, like give us give folks that are listening a, a little plug for If, if you go all to
0: com, you. you will see the Sport of Speed golf on display. You'll see old man high jumping on display, and I can't wait to connect with you. I had so much fun uh, being on the the show from the beginning with um, the Primal Blueprint podcast and um, you know the, the the emails and the the great audience that um, that uh, checks in with you guys and all the all the great interviews you've had. I especially loved Amy Van Dyken. She was such a hero in, in swimming, and to hear her um, resolve and her ability to manage life—it's so heartwarming. I didn't know you guys were relatives. It's so yeah. awesome. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, go to BradKerns.com. You'll have another podcast to, to put into your playlist, the BRAD podcast. And um, thanks for the opportunity to connect, Morgan. It's been a while.
1: Yeah, it was awesome. Thanks, Brad.